HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I'm Lisa Held, a food journalist and podcast host presenting Behind the Label with American Humane. Produced by Heritage Radio Network for Springer Mountain Farms, this podcast series dives into what the American Humane certified label really means. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. It's September, and as the days get shorter and temperatures cooler, it's time to go back to school. This week on Meet and 3, we're looking at how lunchtime is changing from elementary schools through college, whether classes are remote or in person. While there was some information about where families could access food, it was spread out on many different websites. I'm seeing people, you know, advocate for, like, going back into school. And a main reason is, you know, food insecurity. Like, kids go to school and they get fed. And I'm just... That's a whole other thing of, like, fight for kids to be fed versus, like, going to school. Tune in to Meet in 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host here on the Heritage Radio Network of Beer Sessions Radio. We've got a special show today. We're talking about biscuits and beer. And let's have our guests introduce themselves. Start with Christopher. Hey, guys. My name is Christopher Gansey. I'm the owner and operator of Delview Biscuits and Beer and also Delview Brewery. That's great, man. We're so looking forward to having you on. I know we originally had this show scheduled at the beginning of August. One of those big storms came up, and a couple of us had power outages. So thank you so much for uh, rescheduling with us. And our other good friend, uh, Chef Jesse. Yes. <laughs> Hi, how you doing? Uh, chef Jesse Jones, uh, uh, private chef and cookbook author. That's great. Jesse, you've been – I know you through, through cooking at different events. Um you you usually shine, whether it's cassoulet or, or pig or brisket, um, yeah. and we, we've got a lot to talk about today. I really appreciate you coming on the show with me. Oh, thanks for having me. So the, the, the initial point of this was biscuits and biscuits and beer. So let's talk about each of you, what, what biscuits means to you and where you get some of your inspirations. I know you both have some Southern roots. So let's start with Jesse. Jesse, you got a biscuit recipe. You always tell me how good it is. So. Yeah, a little backstory on that. 
Well, I mean, my grandmother had uh, the most unbelievable biscuits. I, and, you know, she made them flat and she had the good old country sausage. So um, that that's uh, my fond memory of biscuits was hers. And then now, finally, I've been playing around with it so long. I got her biscuit. It tastes like hers. I got it. It's flat. But um, I use yeast. And um, I'm just a biscuit fool. I mean, I love biscuits <laughs> with molasses and, you know, just mm. been playing around with all type of recipes from chefs that I work for, everybody doing different. And I just find my own little niche, but it's uh, it's definitely uh, a labor of love, you know. So a big part of biscuits for you, it's the recipe of the biscuit, then it's also how you serve it, right? Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. You have to have some good old molasses or some good syrup, great a country egg and sausage. Um, you know, all by themselves, they're great, they're great as well. But, yeah, you got to have, you got to have, you know, some nice uh, condiments to go with it. And, and where is your where's someone in your family from? You said your grandmother's from uh, one of the uh, Carolinas. Yep, my, uh, no, North Carolina. Uh, family's from Snow Hill, North Carolina, and um, a little bit of uh, West Virginia. Uh, yeah, but yeah, our roots are in North Carolina and biscuits. You know, they they, they rule down there. Um, but you know, biscuits to me is 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 a required taste. And then if you don't do them right in our family. And they don't make the table, you know what I mean? So, you know, you, you, you yes. do a, you know do a bad, bi- you a bad biscuit. They going I mean, they hurt you. I mean, I guess you get your feelings hurt nowadays, but back in the day, they let you have it, you know. Like, and they'll talk about it forever, you know. Every conversation. You remember, you, you remember you brought these rock hard biscuits in here for us to, to break our teeth, and they they just bust your chops. And you gotta have thick, you gotta have thick skin, you know. Jesse, you sure we're not family, man? Because that's the same thing that happens with us. If somebody brings home, <laughs> that's not right. Yeah, no, no, absolutely, absolutely. We got to be family because you know. And what's what's great about my story now in my life is, uh, you know, I've been telling my stories that people can relate, and that's what makes it fun. Like you know, <laughs> seems like that's going out the window these days. But yeah, you know, they will let you have it. You know, and and you know, it's like it's that love too, because like my grandmother would you know do it all by hand, and you know, I'll watch her. And, and, you know, it's just it was just you know a great experience. And that's what I'm getting back to, just that that experience of food, uh, up close and personal with people again, like when we were with our grandmother and, um, you know, bring bring love back into the world. So what would be a flaw if if I came over and I was tr- trying to impress you with my biscuits? What what would I not do right that would not let it on the table? For me or for Chris? For you, Jess, because you're on a roll. Um, well, I mean, you know, I would, I would, me personally, I would love to have them coming right out the oven as we sit down. Some people make them in the morning and bring them in there. They're cold and then you warm them up. Sometimes they're good, but it's something about, to me, that, that good old biscuit coming out. No, that can't always happen, but it's nothing like a good old biscuit coming right out the oven hot and you bite the, you know, your root of your mouth burns and, you know, you're like trying to manage. <laughs> you're trying to you're trying to manage it. So that's the first experience. And then you know, obviously warming them up is good too. You know, but um, you know, it's it's how you present them. Like if you come and you got them, you know, warm. That's when people really, you know, their eyes like light up when you come. They go, oh, they're still a little warm. You're like, yeah, I just pulled them out the oven and brought them over. They're warm. You know, that's to me. You know, you got the butter and jelly. To me, that's that's bringing everybody together. Yeah, there, there's a wide variety of biscuits in, in New York City, and you, you don't usually get them right out of the oven like that, I'll tell you. Uh, right. Let's go to Chris. So, Christopher, tell us about your little origin biscuit story. 
you know, it's, it's, your it's, family inspired you and, you know, some of it's the very sim- It's very similar to Jess. You know, I watched my grandmother making her biscuits when I was younger. She made hers flat. Um, she didn't use yeast, but she used buttermilk and butter. Um, yeah, it was it, it was like, and she never used the recipe. Everything was by hand and by feel. Um, so eventually I asked her for the recipe. She gave it to me. What she told me wasn't what, what happened, but it was just like, you know, trial and error, trying to make those biscuits. Um, I do my biscuits a little bit different from how she does her biscuits. Mine are, are fluffy. Just like Jess, my grandmother used to make them flat and crispy and crusty. And, you know, that's how she likes them. When, even if she eats my biscuits now, she pulls all the milk out and only eats the top and the bottom of the biscuit. But, <laughs> um yeah, so it was the same journey, but I knew I wanted to do something different with the biscuit than what we were, what I, did, what was happening when I was growing up. But she always had fresh preserves in the, in the house because she had like she had like a um, a garden in the backyard, so she was she'll bring in different fruit uh, fruits and make preserves, or even frying frying chicken and fried okra, you know, and with gravy and, and using the biscuit to sop up the sop of everything off the plate, which I didn't understand when I was younger, but now I do. It's like you know. If the business right and who's right, it all it's all good. And that's and where is your grandmother from? My grandmother is from. Um, she was born in Swansea, South Carolina, but she currently lives in Columbia, South Carolina, right now. And that's is that where you grew up too? Yeah, born and raised in Columbia, South Carolina. Okay, so we're setting the stage for the bis- biscuits. Um, we can go pretty deep in, into talking about how we make our biscuits. But let's jump up to uh, you open a business. So Dale Brewing, Brewing Biscuits and Beer. Why biscuits and why a brewery? You know, tell us how you got started. So this, this is how I got started. You know, my, my wife left town one weekend for an educational conference. And my daughter needed food, like something for a publishing party. She was in elementary school. And she's like, and I said, what do you want me to make? She said, make biscuits. I said. Sure. So we made we made biscuits that day for her class. People liked them. Um, and, teach, and, and teachers started requesting them again. And then my wife went out of town another, um, like several weeks later for another educational conference. And I said, you know what? I don't feel like doing anything. I don't want to leave the house this weekend. So kids, we're going to put we're going to put an ad out that we're going to be doing biscuit sandwiches this weekend. So. I, I made biscuit. I made biscuit sandwiches, like breakfast biscuits and um, fried chicken biscuits, on a Saturday. And people came out, started hanging, was hanging at my house, and just eating the biscuits, enjoying it. They loved it. They actually was doing it again. So four weeks later, I did it again, and this the second time around, I added um, a beer. So I brewed a beer to go along with it. So we called the the second event biscuits and beer, and people came. Even more people came. They, were, they sampled the beer because we couldn't sell it, and they were eating the biscuits, and it was ordering more biscuits, and we ended up running out. Um, and after that, we transitioned. When Allen to Allen was still in, t- in town during that time, they was doing a thing called um, Foodie Fridays, and I took over the kitchen for the summer, for that spring, the summer, and the first part of, part of the uh, winter, doing biscuit sandwiches out of, out of their brewery every Friday. And then it progressed. I, I didn't really have a real plan to opening an actually actual storefront. I was doing it because I was having fun, you know, 
I wasn't trying to make money. So the, the gods led me to a physical space and and Delview Biscuits and Beer came to reality. It's a great start. Um, and Jesse, for you, tell us about, uh, have you used biscuits in your cooking throughout your career? Or do you teach biscuits in your classes? And how much, how much important, how important is Southern food in, in, in your life? Cause I know you, you've embraced New Orleans food and, and French techniques. Yeah. No, well, I mean, biscuits go way back in my repertoire, starting with, um, obviously, like I said, my grandmother, but, um, when I do, I worked in French restaurants and, um, you know, the pastry, you know, the pastry chefs there, they made all kinds of shortbread dough and biscuit doughs. But, um, I had the pleasures of working under, um, a master pastry chef, um, uh, Fred when I was young. And so from, but through him, I learned the ins and outs of baking one-on-one and fell in love with biscuits. He had a great, he had a good, great recipe. He made great scones, all kind of crazy scones. And so, um, when, it, when I started to work with them and getting, getting to a more professional level of baking and biscuits and things like that, I went back to my grandmother and she shot all that out the window. She was like, I don't know nothing about that. This is how grandma did it. And so that's how I learned like that feel of making the dough. But now you got to mass produce this. So you can't be sitting there gathering everybody around and watch you need this, you know, make biscuits. So how could you mass produce it and like make it and make a volume? And that's when I started to learn, like to doing a lot of volume biscuits and appreciating them. Just different chefs that I work for. I worked in a French four star restaurant for a long time. They did all types of um, biscuits and they laced it with, you know, foie gras, uh, you know, the best European butter. The best uh, the homemade cream de fret, homemade buttermilk, you know, all different types of things to bring me right back to um, down home. I, I, you know, so when I was in culinary school, I used to go I used to go back down south and, yeah, start playing with white, white lily flour um, and, you know, different buttermilks and just the texture and then eating them. So, yeah, I've been I've been a biscuit fan forever, you know, and, uh, you know. We, we, uh, the, the, the restaurant I used to work, they used to put little biscuits, like, you know, like right on the table when you sit down, it was like so good. And they give you some nice butter. Um, so I could appreciate the biscuit, you know, everybody, uh, it's not, you know, it's, it's an easy thing to do, but, um, you can jack up some biscuits. What, what's the secret that you use, Jesse, when, when you, when you're making it for a larger scale for like a restaurant or an event, um, you know, how do you stretch what your grandmother taught you? Um, well, I don't, I don't like, I don't so much scratch too much. I keep hers in mind, but uh, when it comes down to mixing, I don't over mix it. You know, you can over mix it, and maybe you don't want to make it too elastic and gummy. Yeah. So um, I lightly still mix it, even if I'm doing a big volume. And then when um, when I put it that big lump on the table, like I'm just kind of kneading it with my hand and feeling it, feeling it, and uh, I'm really playing around with it. Um, not a lot. Cause I see a lot of people just overwork it. They play around with it too much. Um, so yeah, I just, you know, try to, you know, as, as, as less mixing as I could do to just basically incorporate everything. And then, um, you know, I pipe them out, you know I mean? With a ring mold. Um, but see, I, I don't got into yeast biscuits. So that's my thing. Now I love the, I love the texture of the, the biscuit, but then I like that 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 fluff of the cake of the of the bread so i've been playing around with 
yeast br- biscuits with uh, duck fat inside. Whoa. So yeah, I'm, I've been, that's what I'm playing around with. I got a mean duck fat biscuit, you know? <laughs> yeah. I need, I need to try that biscuit. Um, yeah. Oh no, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you gotta, you know, and then I'm back to the lard because a lot of people don't do lard. So yeah. I, t- I tell them like, oh, think about it. they got lard in it. They're like, okay. So that's why I love, that's why I love pig Island. Cause every, everything rules, you know, you can, I could do the lard, you know, my biscuits. I mean, fat just rules, bacon rules. No, it's no rules there. So I could play around before my clients and other people, obviously you got to alter. Some people don't like to use shortening. Some people don't like buttermilk. So I play around with all types of things to the, to the clients liking. See, now we're getting excited. So Christopher, uh, so at, at your place, Dale View Biscuits and Beer, um, what's the basic biscuit recipe that you've, you've stuck with and, um, did you have to modify it after you opened your restaurant? Uh, we still make it. Um, scra- we still make scratch biscuits. Um, we we instead of using circle, um, instead of using a circle cutter, we use a square cutter. But it, everything is still done by hand because um, I'm very nervous about using um, any um, mechanical things to mix my biscuits. Just like Jess say, you don't want to overwork those biscuits, and our biscuits are gluten free. And the more you work it, the tougher they get. So it's all about being gentle. So I just I just found that 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 um that common ground and being gentle with the biscuits. But the recipe is still the same. We're still doing everything by hand. Um, we're able to do bigger bulks by hand, um, but we're still keeping it scratch made. You know, cutting it and putting as much love into that biscuit as we possibly can each and every single time. So the thing about biscuits, um, you know, biscuits as a sandwich, you know, I, I, I always think of biscuit as this side dish to sop up juices or something else. Um, but a lot of restaurants are, are making sandwiches. I noticed, Chris, that you have like a brunch biscuit with salmon. Um, what are your favorite uh, biscuit, you know, dishes or sandwiches that, that you guys sell? Right now, my favorite biscuit that we have on the menu and – you want to have a couple more weeks? It's the uh, fried green tomato with house-made pimento cheese and bacon. That, that, that's my go-to biscuit right now. Um, also, another one I go to is like a um, a chicken biscuit that's drenched in hot sauce with avocado and bacon and house-made blue cheese. Like those are my go-to biscuits, um, and I can't get enough of them. And and this weekend we did oxtail and just doing the oxtail gravy and biscuits, being able to use that biscuit to sop up all that gravy. It's been fun. It's yeah, been fun. To my hands that's what I'm coming for. That That's my kind of food. <laughs> oh, like, man. No, yeah. it's amazing. And Jesse, for you, t- tell us some of the dishes you've made with biscuits. Um, oh, man. I mean, I made so many, like, and Chris got me, uh, Chris got me starving. I, I mean, I want the oxtails biscuit, man. With the gravy, but um, I uh, you know, I, I do all kinds. Like in my cookbook, um, I have a spin. Uh, it's a it's a um, pie crust for my lobster pie, but I also do it with a biscuit too. So I take that biscuit, put it down, and then I ladle over the uh, the the, the lobster, kind of like the lobster pie, um, you know, over it, and you know scampi gravy and mm. creole sauce i put shrimp and crab etouffee over it um oh. but uh yeah no that that all sounds delicious that's chris was saying but yeah that is it's just about that slopping you know that that you know my grandma you know like yeah chris, that chris was touched on 
I mean, you know, that's them days are over. A lot of people are not into it like they used to. But back in the day, you know, that biscuit main job was to you got to have something to slurp up that sauce, you know, that gravy or that mm -hmm. jelly or something, you know. But yeah, yeah. I'm, I it's love like, sandwiches it's too. It's kind of evolved into being a sandwich, isn't it? Hasn't it? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's always been a sandwich since since I was a little kid. My grandmother would go out and get fresh eggs and those good old um, those red sausage. Chris would know about those. Oh, red sausage. Oh, the red. And then and then you know either pimento cheese or and the cheddar is not. There, there's some great uh, farmers that's making some good cheddar, but when I was growing up, it was something about the cheese. It was so good. So by the time she laced that, she melted that cheddar, the red sausage, and the egg, and the biscuit. Oh, man, it was insane. You could eat like four or five of them. Oh, yes. Oh, or even throwing a country fried ham on the um, biscuit. Oh, man. With, 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 some, with, some red eye, with some red eye gravy. Oh, absolutely, man. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll probably be sinful together, man. We'll probably, it's probably be crazy, man, cooking up. Oh. I used to love that. I was going to say that for me, the intersection of food and drink is is at the heart of everything. But honestly, I think it's the food that's at the heart of everything. <laughs> yeah. um, but Christopher, you're expanding. So, so tell us, you have a brewery, but it sounds like, you have a brewery because you, you wanted to make biscuits. Well, I, I wanted to make beer, too. Um, like, the original plan was beer was going to rule it all. But my customers told me beer is good, but the biscuits are better. So I listened to my customers. You know, they come they come regularly for the biscuits. They do drink the beer. They do drink any, and all, any, all the drinks we have here. But they want People want the biscuits, and like um, like I said earlier, the biscuits are gluten free, and it's a challenge finding a good or decent gluten free biscuit anywhere. So people come regularly because it's gluten free. Like we come, we've, we've come to destination park spot for gluten free food because all our food is gluten free. Um, so the expansion is we're looking at trying to do just do some wholesale with the biscuits and also doing some direct to consumer. Like we, we love to ship across the U S with our biscuits. So that's where the expansion came in. Um, just, just based off the fact that we have gluten-free food and, and the biscuits are gluten-free. Like, so there's a market that's, that's there right for us to grow. And then how did COVID, um, did COVID change your plans or this is the, the things are going the way that you had planned? Well, COVID, yeah, COVID did change my plans because I wasn't I wasn't looking at expanding as of yet because um, they're still growing. But the opportunity, like commercial spaces are much less. Um, people are eating home a little bit more often. And if you can give them an accessory to go with their meal that they're going to make, it makes it even better. Like Jeff says, like everybody, everybody, everybody can, everybody can follow a recipe for a biscuit, but everybody can't make a biscuit. So, are, are you going to be expanding your, your kitchen to make more more biscuits? Yes, yeah, so we're, we're expanding the kitchen. We're going to open up a small um, a bakery in 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 sense and really start pushing out the biscuits, and I'll start adding a couple of other gluten free baked goods um, to the mix as well for for our customers. Now, let's talk about what gluten-free means, because for me, I feel like part of it is that, that people are just having mass-produced flour. Um, why gluten-free, but, but what are you using 
in your biscuits? Um, so gluten-free came about because my wife, um, she has a gluten allergy. So whenever she eats any, 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 any flour, it'll, it'll mess her up. So it breaks out an eczema real bad, bloating and many, and joint aches, you know, to many different symptoms of, of gluten allergies, of gluten. So that's the reason why the business are gluten-free. And, and, and also the reason why the beer is not, because she doesn't drink beer, but I do. So we had to compromise someplace. <laughs> um, but right now we do use a, a commercial made um, flour. Uh, we are working on our own blend, which is, is, is challenging, um, especially at our scale um, to really be blending flours. It's, 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 it's kind of cost prohibitive. So we are using like a gluten-free flour um, that we, and we tried, um, like 10 of them that's on the market and finally came to one that actually works well with um, making biscuits. That's great. And Jesse, what about you for the, any twists and turns that have come your way? Um, earlier today, I thought, you know, Jesse, the, the more I get to know you, the more I respect you. Um, you've really worked really pretty deeply in the industry. Um, what do you have to tell a young guy like Christopher who's, who's making biscuits? Um, I bet you have some, some wisdom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I would definitely tell me, obviously keep pushing. I know COVID hurt everybody, but um, just listen to Christopher. It seemed like he got, you know, everything, you know, situated the way he want. But my advice to him is to be consistent with your customers. Like every time they hit that door, the biscuit got to be the same because they're going to be telling their friends and they're going to be telling people about you. You don't want to disappoint. That was one of the problems. That was one of the great things when I had my restaurant. So I lost my restaurant, but that was one thing that I keep that's true. Just uh, really dear to me is when people see me in the street, they always go, you know what? Every time we came to your restaurant, we had a, we had a great meal. So be consistent. Um, don't deviate from the product. Um, yes. yeah, keep it, you know, keep it 100 with that. And um, I think everything will be, you know, be fine for you because um, that, that's where I see. Like, for instance, um, I went to a friend's restaurant. It was good. And then I brought some people back and, you know, the staff was a little rude. You know, it wasn't, you know, it was inconsistent. And I get it. It gets hectic back there. But, um, you, you know, you should keep your product consistent because you got to remember if it's good, it's going to get better. It's going to get even better. And now you got to be consistent and it has to always be good. You know, they, that's they, true. Things happen, but it always got to be. It always got to be good. Um, one of the things that I push on now, Jimmy, is about being a chef of color. My whole career, I worked in some of the greatest restaurants here in New Jersey, four star restaurants. But yet, you don't know my name. You never, never knew I was back there. They never mentioned me. Um, but um, one day, a light bulb just popped in my head, and I said, "You know what? Look at all this skill I got." So I jumped out on faith. You know, it was rough, and I never looked back. But um, I'm kind of lethal right now. I'm dangerous. I got so much in my repertoire for myself now, but I have over 15 chefs that I work for in my life that I even have stuff that they taught me that I don't even utilize anymore. I just been playing around with my own thing. But um, I'm, I, I used to have a chip on my shoulder, but I'm so grateful, even though things happened the way they did it with just the racist tension in the kitchen and the way they treated me. But I really appreciate the learning. And then that's why I give. Like people go, oh, you giving out the real recipe? I'm like, Oh yeah, I don't mind sharing it because if you're not consistent, because I'm gonna be up at three o'clock in the morning, and um, <laughs> you you 
you you you're coming in at two. Like, what's going on? I'm already there, bro. You know what I mean? So <laughs> if you if you beat me that way, um, people that know me, they go, no, you're not going to outwork me. That's one thing. Like, um, you know, I sleep on a timer, you know, and then you know, <laughs> wake up. Oh, I got to get, you know, I'm checking the smoker and checking my stuff. So um, I'm going to be consistent. And I'm going to make sure no matter what I'm doing, you're going to have a good product. And that and what gives me pleasure is when you enjoy my food. Yes. You know, Jesse, you, you mentioned smokers too. Uh, our friend Phil Wingo, barbecue guy. Yeah. He said that for him, barbecue is more like baking mm-hmm. than anything. Yes. Because of the time involved. Exactly. And that's where some people cheat cheat the time and don't get the, the good results. Or you can be out there a long, long time and get a terrible uh, uh, product by not, you know, it's, it's really one with the uh, wood. Now, if you have a smoker that's on a timer, then you just, you know, loading it and you're just hanging out. But I'm out there putting my wood in, playing around. I'm not opening it and closing it, but I'm checking the wood. I'm keeping it at a good temperature. And um, that's trial and error. I work with an old chef, although he called me names all the time. He It's something that he always told me. He said, Jesse, when you are one with the food and consistency and you're there all the time, it's, it's, you're going to always get a good product. And once you can master it and you can do it with your eyes closed, then it's, then it's like it's on to the next, you know. So it's like when I'm out there, I already know the time I got to put into what I need to do. But it's a labor of love and I love it. So I can sit out there and, you know, have me a few few drinks and um, get eat up by mosquitoes, you know, to uh, make sure I, I get a, a good product because I want people to be happy. And, um, you know, so Phil's out there. It's hard work, you know. People don't understand that, you know, barbecuing out there and, you know, and he's traveling as well, but it's definitely something that you love and, and appreciate, you know? Yeah. And one, I one of your high notes, uh, so uh, one of the events that, that you cook on with me is the Pig Island NYC event. Yeah. In 2018, you won Best in Show. Yeah. So uh, before we close out this segment, tell everybody what you made. You had a, a great dish that day, but you really put the whole thing together. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I made the whole hog, um, you know, smoked it different ways and then mixed it together. And I made something interesting. I took the, the lard and all the drippings from the uh, pork that I had and I mixed it in, made a corn pancake. Ooh. And um, and uh, and I was I was cooking it in straight lard out there to, to order. It must have been about 2000 people out there. I'm cooking pancakes to order in lard um, and putting in everybody went absolutely nuts i didn't even know i won they announced jimmy announced the award and sung a song and i i wasn't even there i still was serving i still had a lot of people jones jesse jones jesse jones jesse jones, jesse jones. i had a lot i had a lot of i had a lot of people you know just cooking because you were so busy you didn't even yeah. know won. <laughs> yeah well I, well you know what i come from that's why i'm working on a small book i know we got to close out but i'm working on another small book it's going to be a look like a short novel. It's going to be called The Last of My Kind. And 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 that's me, you know, like, so, you know, people go to say why we're, but that's what it is. It's, it's, it's through food, but I'm going to be telling my story because people, um, the feedback makes me get even stronger, make me go back to the drum board. I want the ultimate, ultimate product. Keep pushing it, um, you know, like, like the smoked pork butt, the butt, the shoulders and butts that I'm doing Saturday going to be incredible. And then I'm doing a um, cornbread, small cornbread muffin with foie gras. I'm doing a, I'm doing a dirty cornbread. And um, 
it's going to be it's going to buck your kneecaps. It's going to be great. And Jesse, what's the name of your book? Uh, Pal, my life in forty feasts, and that pal means passion, opportunity, and work. That's great. Well, listen, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio and talk more with Chris and Jesse. I'm Lisa Held, a food journalist and podcast host, presenting Behind the Label with American Humane. Produced by Heritage Radio Network for Springer Mountain Farms, this podcast series dives into what the American Humane Certified Label really means. We're looking inside the farm certification process, beginning with the moment a farmer expresses interest in becoming American Humane Certified, all the way to a consumer seeing the seal on store shelves. And American Humane is our country's first national humane organization, founded way back in 1877. Now, we certify nearly 1 billion farm animals each and every year. Despite that growth, uh, roughly 90% of U.S. farm animals are still raised without the benefit of independently verified science-based standards. Subscribe to Behind the Label with American Humane wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Check us out, heritageradionetwork.org. Become a member, support shows like Beer Sessions Radio and 30 other shows about food and chefs and farming. All right, so we're talking about biscuits and beer, but more about biscuits and food with uh, Chris from Daleview Biscuits and Beer and uh, Chef Jesse Jones. Um, Jesse, that, it's so great to hear about your the cookbook, and that's how I know you, um, My Life and Power, My Life and 40 Feasts. Um, but Christopher, so as you're expanding, uh, I want to talk a more about the industry because you have a, a brewery and, and a, a cafe and you're expanding in the biscuit business. Yes. Um, what is it like teaching someone else to cook your food? I always f- thought that that's the hardest thing because things like flavor and the feel and timing, it, it's not really something you can teach to anyone, especially when you're not just pressing a button. Yeah, yeah, and that that has been teaching someone how to cook the food has been the challenge thus far um, since we've been open. I've been looking for that right person for the past year. Um, I have friends who can who can do what I do, but they also come from the same region of the of the of the of the, of the U.S. that I do, so it's easy to translate. Um, yeah, it, it's been a challenge. It's it's real hard to teach someone. To be gentle with the biscuits and not overwork it. Don't stress it. Um, to come in with an open heart and loving hands, um, and not to, and also not when we are seasoning something, not to be afraid to season it. You know, we, we want full flavor, full body when, when we when we cooking our food. Like you know, when we're making chicken or even if we doing a um, making a pulled pork, um, we want full flavor. You know, so it's people people are scared to season. Like it's 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 hard to explain, but people that's been a challenge. I've been looking for that person, that right person for wow, like I said, for a year to help come in to alleviate some of the stress off not stress, but alleviate some of the, the um alleviate some of the, the work for me so I can 
step back and do some other things as well to help really grow the business. Well, it, it, it's hard to begin with just to hire anyone. It seems that you're going to have a, a three or six month learning process where you may not even know if in the end they're going to be good enough, right? Yes. Yes. And that, that's a, like the, I had one person come who wanted to do an internship with me. Um, and the, the, this, this young person made some amazing biscuits, but they had to go back to school. They was in high school. There was a junior in high school, but they had to go back to his first senior year and now they're off to college. And I wish I can clone that person and have them come back and make biscuits for me every single day. You know, you, you always hear this about, you know, regional food. There's someone from used to be a certain part of Southwest France where all the cooks in Paris were from. Or, you know, you wouldn't have to really explain to them a lot of things. Or maybe they, they studied under a certain chef. I mean, how, how are you going to find someone to cook your regional food from that part of South Carolina? You know, it goes back to trial and error um, and have people taste the food. As we're cooking, as I'm cooking and they're watching and observing and doing, they're, they're going to have to taste the food and... um. And they can't get they can't have the reins until we're at that point where we there's some type of ingredients that you have like you 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 almost you're there almost there, um, and you know at the end of the day it's I want somebody like well I'm looking for somebody who has a heart to learn you know like a willingness to learn and have a love of of food and a love of making people happy through food and I think that's probably more the key to finding the right person. Because when my parents cook, when my grandparents cook, and I think about any family meal I had when I was a kid, even now with my wife and family, it's always made out of love. We can mess something up, but if it's made with love, people are going to like it unless they really mess it up and they can't bring in that macaroni and cheese or that biscuit ever again. But if it's made with love, like, and, and truly from the heart, somebody's truly cooking from the heart, I think that's that's really part of like Southern cooking, like cooking, cooking um, people cooking from the South, like you cooking with your heart and love because you want to see people smile and happy and, and go to a food coma when they finish eating. Let's go. Jesse, you, you, you mentioned, you know, the challenges of being a black chef and, you know, not getting the recognition you you would deserve when you were younger. Mm-hmm. What about the role of black black cooks in Southern Southern culture and food? Because, I mean, that's kind of what the show is about. Yeah, all the food you're talking about is ultimately this was cooked by black people. Right, exactly. Well, yeah, well, yeah. It's funny. I um, back in the day, I was always talking about this when I discovered Patrick Clark. He was the first um, black, really celebrity chef cooking French, and um, I was intrigued by him once my chef told me about him, and that's when I started playing around with Southern uh, with a little French twist, and then. Um, you know, New York Times wrote, you know, where are all the black chefs back then? And here we are, fast forward to now, uh, they're asking the same thing. Now, there are a slew of great chefs, black chefs, that's getting the notoriety and getting the publicity, but it they, it seemed like they only want five of them. You know, they don't want, you know, all, all the chefs. So um, it's great that chefs are getting uh, ex- exposure now, but a lot of chefs are going back to their roots. They're going back to the, the, the culture of African-American cuisine where we were the only chefs, black people were the only ones cooking. And uh, I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, the only thing, the younger generation, 
that's getting the younger black chefs that's getting the James Beers Award and everything, they're dissing chefs like me. Like they don't, they don't, because because I didn't get up to their caliber of a James Beard Award or anything like that. I still paved the way um, for them to even do that, you know. So um, when I see that happen, I just keep it moving. And then some of them do reach out because I have a lot in my repertoire, but it never included me. Like I, like if we're sitting around doing menus, um, everybody's you know throwing everything in the pot about a menu, and I'm saying, hey, what about this or what about cucumbers? And then they're just like ignoring me. So I, I have this amazing journey now where I'm on my own, Jimmy, and I get to do whatever I want to do with great food. And, um, and if it's trial and error, you know, so that's the fun thing about it. And I want to keep African-American cuisine alive. I want to keep black chefs alive. So when you see me, my integrity, um, I represent every chef that I work for, no matter how they treated me. Um, I, I, I represent them. Um, I come from a lineage of great chefs. Um, um, I'm, I'm serious when it comes to this and I'm starting to get a little recognition now when people understand that uh, I'm, I'm serious, but I'm also knowledgeable too. Like, and if I can't help you, I'll find a way to help you. Cause it's all about trial and error. Like Chris was saying, finding help. Like I've, you know, it's tough. Um, you know, you may get that one person that can, that comes in and help you, but it's so tough. So that's why I, I teach the young kids, the young African-American kids. Uh, I teach any kid, really. But I want to I wanna see more color in the industry. And I like to teach them. It's better to get a younger person than an old methodical person because he's one. he'll get in there. As soon as you turn around, he's doing it his way. You know, you come back like, I told you to do it this way. You're like, I'm the boss, you know. So if you get a younger person, they're kind of going to do it the way you tell them and this way. And they should work with great chefs. I, I was glad that I worked with great chefs. You have to work with great chefs to be good. I'm sorry. Just have how, to. How many times do you have to, let, let's say you, you had a sauce that you liked. Yeah. It could be a biscuit. How many times do you have to not just make it, but taste it? Oh. When you, you're a young person, you yeah. actually know what, what, it like, what it's like. No, they, you ab- absolutely have to know how it tastes. But nowadays, the younger kids are starting from the bottom, obviously. But there's what they call the five mother sauces. And and I, I, I was taught that in school and all the restaurants I work in, they're five mother sauces. And if they don't really learn the basic five mother sauces and implementing sauces, they will really never know what they taste like. Like a lot of them make sister sauces, but you got to know where the base come from. And once you know where the base come from, then you could do all kinds of sauces, especially for biscuits. I had the pleasure of, of with almost five years training with the saucier, which is a top, top dog in New York. He does all the sauces and even doing all the grunt work for him and being treated like a dog roasting bones. They turned me into a beast. I'm like the sauce master. Everybody always go crazy over my barbecue sauce at Pig Island. Any sauce I make, they rave about it. But um, it's a lot of work to get maybe a gallon of sauce, though. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm roasting all these bones, but by the time I'm done, I might only have like a quart or you know, or a gallon at most. But it's just that labor of love that you know that I love. And um, and when I say the mother, the five mother sauces, I mean a Robert, a Espanol, a Velute. A tomato sauce and bechamel, um, those are the sauces that will make some serious sauces for some biscuits, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then so w- learn from that, Chris, um, you know, w- what are some of the challenges that a new cook I- is going to get in your kitchen? Um, I think the challenge is going to be is like I'm not a trained cook chef. And, you know, I've been to home cook and cooking for years and it's cooking from love. It's like, I'm not coming from a technical place. I'm coming from a place of let's have fun, let's experiment, and let's get it right. Um, 
when, I, when we're doing sauces and doing anything, we, it's lots of tasting. Like we go through lots of spoons in, in, in the Delview kitchen. But, you know, that's I think that's a challenge when somebody comes and cooks with me. Unless you already have an idea of how to cook um, Southern cuisine, um, that's that's the challenge that is it coming there comes from me. Like, you know, Chris, I, I'm in the same. I, I was also a, a home cook, self taught, and had my own restaurant. And the biggest challenge was exactly what you're saying: is how could I translate what I the food I liked to a chef who'd been trained to come in? And I see it now. I, I remember it relates to beer. I remember when Six Point first opened in Brooklyn, and uh, they were making some really great beers, small batches, but eventually they they had to start making beer at a large facility in Pennsylvania. And they found very quickly that their small batch recipes, no one could replicate. So they hired their first real good brewer was a brewer from Germany, and he turned their American wheat and basically made it a Hefeweizen recipe, for example. Um, So in some weird way, it's almost like you might have to get some classic recipes that that cook kids out of cooking school know how to make, and almost yeah. like try out one or two of those. I don't know. It, it, it's interesting to think about how you can grow it. You know, that's true. Yes, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that sounds great. I mean, uh, if, if Jimmy, if you don't mind, if I can just touch on with Chris with that. Also, when you get a uh, someone in culinary school. And then you, and then they get in there, and they realize that you didn't been to school. Sometimes it, it's tough because they they want to see it their way, um, but they got to understand it's two different worlds there. With what you're doing from the love and that home cooking, they don't even teach that in school, you know. So yeah. that that's that's the love right there, you know. Um, and then you you obviously will figure it out. And then once you tell them how to do it, the only thing that you may want to probably learn technically is the technical part, like you know, mise en place, having everything ready um, to, in order to, to instruct them. Um, yeah. uh, a lot of, um, you probably wouldn't be interested, but I know back in the day, a few of my clients that I was helping, they even went to a culinary school for a brush-up course. Just just management, just, uh, just brush-up, you know, just to get, if they wanted to go that route, the ideal of a more pro, a, 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 a production kitchen with trained cooks. Well, yeah, that 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 is on my radar. Like I've been think I've been thinking about that for a while. Yeah, it's just figuring out the time, the timing of it. You know, right? Exactly. Yep. Yeah, it's 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 a tough one. You know, I mean, um, good luck, Christopher. I still can't believe that you open a brewery, but you're 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 really growing your biscuit business. Yes. You know, brewing is very like growing a brewery is it can be very expensive and. I don't know if I want to take, and I'm never saying never. I don't know what I want to take on that expense in in the city. Um, so th- that's that's where I'm at with that. So it's it's, a, it's who knows what's going to happen in, in the next 12 to, eight, 12 to 24 months. You know, we might be talking again. I was like, yeah, I just got a bigger space, and we're we're going to ask. Um, we're doing fifteen a fifteen barrel system instead of a, a two barrel system. That's right. <laughs> Yeah. And never paid, never. to the naming of your place. So you said you opened a brewery and you opened the restaurant. How did you come up with the, the different names? And is it confusing for people? Um, everyone knows us as Delview Biscuits and Beer. Um, we never we never really talk about Delview Brewery as unless we're going to like 
a, a New York City Guild meeting or state meeting, but everyone knows that New um, Delview Biscuits and Beer. And Delview came about, it's, it's, it's a neighborhood I grew up in. It's, a, it's a, um, a small subdivision I grew up in in Columbia, South Carolina. So it's like, you know, think about all my friends and family I grew up with during my formative years. Like it's giving homage back to them. So that's how Delview came about. It's like, you know, my middle name is Dale as well. But it's like giving giving back giving back to my 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 family and friends that I grew up with, you know, let them know that the neighborhood that neighborhood is very important to me and as well to them. Yeah, and Chris, on the brewing side, and in terms of giving back to the community, I know that um, with Black Lives Matter, you've done an initiative. Did, did you do your own collaboration project? Yeah, me and um, a young man named Chris Ennis, um, and you know. Before before all the um, craziness went down, like because there's been craziness going on for years, um, we were talking about the lack of diversity in in the craft beer world overall, and that conversation was how do we help change that? You know, it didn't happen in one day, like helping over several meetings, and then it was like you know we decided it's like let's let's build an internship so we can get people to take part in in um in the in the, brew, in the brewing world. It's like, you know, we have so many people going to school for different, many different degrees, but don't realize that they can come back and get a job in a brewery doing something they have a, a passion for. Um, and they came back to exposure. The lack of exposure for anybody in anything, it keeps people out of growing in different industries and in, in different sectors of, of, of society. So it's like you know, let's let's just start an internship and help expose people of color to the craft brew world. Um, so we sat down, and we and when COVID hit, they get really gave us more time to really um, plan everything that we was going to do. So we sat down. It started off as, as a four week um, internship that we was talking about, and by the time in a making about, it was like we didn't do eight weeks. Four weeks, they go through all the processes. They learn how to brew. They learn the packaging. They learn the marketing. They learn the admin um, portion. They learn uh, front of house. In that first four weeks, like they expose to all those different aspects. And then the last four weeks, they get to put all those things they learned into action and brew a beer. And week four of the, the last last week of that internship, they market that beer and to sell that beer so that money can go right back into the internship to help increase you know exposure for people of color and you know even any and also eventually any other sort group out there as well you know we're looking at this internship is to bring people like bring people together like this is our small way help diversify our society um since we love since we both love craft beer that was the best place to put it. So, Chris, you know, uh, we're going to wrap up soon, but that was a really important thing that you said because, um, you know, Mike, uh, the Michael Jackson Foundation set up uh, by Garrett Oliver. Uh, did you guys have any talks, or do you think that he was thinking independently of that? Because um, that's getting a lot of attention. Um, I think, I think that this conversation has been happening in small groups everywhere. And with everything happening, 
people like finally said, let's we need to do something and not wait anymore. Like we need to be in the forefront going forward, like and make and make and making the changes. Um, I haven't talked uh, like I haven't talked to Gary yet. I would love to, um, but he seemed like he was a man of vision going anyway. So he he's on a, he's on a national level. We're going to be more on a local level and help him grow in our local community, which is going to help feed into that national. Yeah. And like any internship or apprenticeship, how do you find uh, people to participate in it? Um, we're going to, that's one thing we're finalizing. And that's, and that's where we're at right now. It's like all the, all, all the small finalization parts of um, the internship. Um, we, we, we do plan on partnering with SUNY and some other, some other school organizations and also some other nonprofit organizations that deal with um, people of color. Um, cause we're just not, we're just not going for college kids, college, college, um, people like we want, we want that, that's the set of people to be very diverse from you graduated from high school and had no, had no desire to go to college or you decide to go to college and you want to get a degree in X, Y, and Z, but you want to learn a new skill. So we, we keep right now it's open. Um, so. We're talking about who we partner with to get the information out of information out to. Yeah, no, that's great. I'm I'm glad we touched on that a little bit. Last thing, okay, your favorite biscuit. <laughs> I'll tell you mine. My I don't even think mine's a biscuit. Well, well, you know Jesse, uh, there was this chef Joe Doe, Joe Tobias, and years ago when we did the Pig Island Cookbook, the ILikePig.com. Mm -hmm. <laughs> his recipe when it, your recipe is in there, I think your pork strudel. Yeah, his recipe was the lard biscuit. Mm -hmm. And I haven't had that in a long time. But my favorite biscuit type dish might not even be a biscuit. It's a French pastry called gougere. Have you ever made that? No. It's gougere. It's it's a it's a dough. It's like a biscuit. You also have to serve it really hot, and you got to use like really good Gruyere cheese in it. Oh, nice. Um, it's a G O U G E R E. If you ever get that recipe. You want to blow it out more than you were, Chris? <laughs> Keep pumping out gougeres fresh. It's uh. Mm -hmm. So what's your what's your favorite biscuit, Jesse? Oh, you, like I said, what I've been playing around. My my um, I got two. I got a sweet potato yeast biscuit, and I got the regular uh, yeast biscuit with uh, lard in this series. Mm. I I need to come over and try those biscuits, Jess. Oh yeah, man, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It, I you know, I would definitely love your feedback. You know. Yeah, because that's how I am. I'm, I'm a feed, you know, I, I cook and people critique it and they like it. I'm like, great. I, if it's great, I leave it. If not, I work on it, you know? Yes. And Chris, what's your favorite biscuit? You know, I'm simple. Um, give me a nice hot butter biscuit with a little bit of honey or a little bit of um, jam. And that tops my day off right there. Mm, yes. And, you know, and throw, throw a stout with it. I'm, I'm, that's even better. And maybe a piece of ham. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's that time of night. It's almost six o'clock, I think. So I'm going to get ready for dinner and I'm yep. going to tell you what I can bake. You guys have been so great. Thanks so much for, we originally had this show scheduled for August and we're doing it now in September, 2020. Um, thank you so much for joining me, uh, Jesse Jones and Chris Gansby. Um, I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host here on Beer Sessions Radio. Thanks to our producer, Dylan Hoyer. Engineer today, Amanda. And um, we'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right.
Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.